Are you tired of hearing mental health from a superficial view and want to hear about realistic views? Well, you come to the right place, a space where healing is central, but also normalized. Your hosts, Donika and Myra, who are in the mental health field, will explore topics to help promote healing in your everyday life. Through our podcast, you will get the real and the work to focus on your healing. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. Hey everyone, we're back with another episode of Black Women Healing Podcast, and we are super excited for today's episode. We have Dr. Donna Oriokwo. Yeah, and I had, to, <laughs> I had to ask her how to pronounce it because you know we try to get names right. Um, but so today um, we're going to be focusing on Black women and uh, it's, it's it's topics of impact, but we'll get into it where you all know the topic we're talking about. Um, so usually we start off with like a discussion, like a random discussion, random question, but we want to try something a little different. Um, and we want to try to do like a, like this, like small trivia to kind of get our minds going. Um, so, <laughs> and so, yeah, so this is, this is still random because Donna did not know about it y'all. So, all right, I'm going to ask the question, and we'll, we'll all go around to see which answer we think is correct. So the question is, who was the first Black person to perform at the Metropolitan Opera Ooh, in 1955? A, Marian Anderson, B, Gwendolyn Brooks, or C, Mae Jemison? Oh, I can't even lie. I have no clue. Yeah. I'm gonna go with C though. We see May Jemison. Yeah, we'll go there. I most definitely like that name. Uh, <laughs> is is actually a Mary Anderson, and um, yeah, I just thought about it. Yeah, we already know the answer, so we don't get to go around. So it's okay. literally <laughs> <laughs> it's just you. What'd you say, Myra? May Jemison was the first black woman to go into outer space. And then Gwendolyn Brooks is a famous poet. I know these random facts because my mom went to Marion Anderson Elementary School, so my mom made me learn these things. So I just randomly knew this. Oh, <laughs> nice. I knew it wasn't Gwendolyn. That's what I knew. I was like, nope, that one's not it. <laughs> like A or C, and I went back to what I used to do back in like middle school. Just choose C whenever in doubt. That was me too. <laughs> hey, that worked. Uh, <laughs> but um. Yeah, so basically, uh, Myra, she kind of gave us some information. So basically, Marian Anderson was the first Black person, um, Black woman, um, ever to perform at the Metropolitan Opera in 1955 for PBS. She was also the first Black woman invited to perform at the White House. In 1986, President Ronald Reagan gave her the National Medal of Arts, according to Anderson's official website. Okay. Y'all listen to opera? Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah. Not yeah, me friend. either. Mm-mm. Not really my thing. Yeah, no. I but, appreciate for those people who it is their thing. I'm just like, nah, I'm good. Thank you, though. Same. Yeah. <laughs> it does make me cry, though. Like, art makes my emotions. Like, I I don't, like, actually listen to it, but the times I have, like, you can't, like, or at least for me, I really do feel like that strong emotion. I can't even explain it. It's just like, yeah, it is. It is. Um, it moves you. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. But um, uh, Dr. Donna, thank you so much for entertaining our little small trivia. Um, 
And we're hopeful that, you know, when, when people listen and even like for ourselves that we're able to learn more facts about black women, um, yeah, to just be more informed. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so now we're gonna go, yes. So now we're gonna go ahead and officially introduce you. So Dr. Donna Orioa, um, LICSWCST is an author, international speaker, and certified sex and relationship therapist in the Washington, D.C. metro area. The owner of Anod Wright, am I pronouncing that right? Yep. The owner of Anod Wright, Dr. Donna specializes in working with Black women on issues related to colorism and texturism and its impact on mental and sexual health. She is the author of Cocoa Butter and Hair Grease, a self-love journey through hair and skin. Dr. Donna is an advocate for sexual freedom, self-love, acceptance, and accomplishment for women of color, especially Black women. She collects inspiring quotes, eats donuts, yes, loves pasta, and stays home because COVID, aka Rona. Dr. <laughs> Donna can be found on Facebook and Instagram at Anod Wright. That's A-N-N-O-D-R-I-G-H-T. Twitter at Dr. Donna Oriowa, Oriowa is spelled O-R-I-O-W-O, um, and check her on the interwebs at the cbhg.com or anotright.com. Yes, so welcome, Dr. Donna. We're so happy to have you, and I love your bio. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Donna, we're going to go ahead and hop in and ask you to tell us a little bit about your, you and your journey and work around Black women and sexual health. Well, the journey started before I even knew that that was the journey I was on. Um, I'm a firstborn, first-gen kid, and my Nigerian parents were doctor, lawyer, engineer. Those were, you know, those were my choices. Um, and I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and then I took a psych class, and I was like, ooh, this might be it. Not exactly what they had in mind when they said doctor, but still, where I ended up going anyway. Um, and didn't just, you know, going through this educational journey and really getting to a space where I've just, I really, I love Black people. Mm -hmm. I especially love Black women. Um, so I'm just like, I, I, we need us. They don't need me. Um, and just building a business, building a practice around serving Black women specifically. Nice. Okay. Everything I thought it was going to be and more. I love to hear that. So what has been your favorite topic to cover thus far in your work as a therapist and why? Uh, my favorite topic is usually when everything just sort of intersects. So when the sex, the relationship, the colorism and texturism and their general mental health, when all those things come into the room together, that's my favorite thing. Mm. It's like, ah, yes, you are in the middle of what feels like chaos but really it's the eye of the storm and there are just so many factors that help to build the storms that we have in our own lives and recognizing how those things all come together and seeing how one impacts the other that's what that's what I like I like to just be a part of people's journey so for a client like that I know you're unpacking things in the therapy room what are you doing or what homework might you give them outside of the therapy room if they have all these different things that intersect or do you give them homework? Or what does that look like? I believe in the power of homework. And the therapist I hired also believes in the power of homework. Mostly because we're not trying to keep you in therapy forever. So some of that work has to be carried outside of our little one hour 
that we get once a week or once every two weeks, depending. So mm-hmm. homework is an absolute must because um, therapy is not cheap. Mm-hmm. So yes, we definitely give homework. Some of the homework might be go read this thing, mm-hmm. journal about this concept. I want you to think more about this and map this thing out. Sometimes I give out worksheets. I've created full on workbooks because I was like, oh, my client needs something. Let me check all the places I know to get it. Don't know what that is. Okay, I'll just make one. Mm. And so I do that too. I love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. It's super helpful. And uh, I explain the same thing to my clients about the impact of homework and super needed. Um, but so today you all will be focused on Black women and uh, sexual health. I think Dr. Donna is an um you have a lot of expertise on so many different topics, so we probably want to have you back. But today we're <laughs> going to focus on sex and sexual health. Um, so what are the most common topics around sex or sexual health that come up in your work? Well, because I mostly see Black women, usually they come and saying, I don't have orgasms and I want to. Mm-hmm. The problem is they think that their orgasms are separate from something else. So the orgasm, I'm like... You know why you don't have orgasms? You don't have help. You don't have self-esteem. Wow. Damn. You don't drink water. <laughs> you don't mind your business. You don't like yourself. It's kind of hard to, to engage, especially in the type of sex that you're looking to engage with in or in, if you don't like yourself, if you don't like your partner. I mean, all of that stuff, they get into that space of what they're supposed to do. So they're supposed to be with this someone who doesn't hit them and is nice enough. Um, They're supposed to act a certain way in a relationship. They're supposed to be this type of person sexually. They're supposed to, supposed to, supposed to, and all those things do is divorce you from your orgasm. Mm -hmm. You put too many expectations between who you are and what you think you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, they come with with their partners or without. I don't have orgasms. I'm like, well, you don't. Also, you also don't seem to like the sex that you're having. You want to start there? Because that's where I want to start. Or you've been with this person for seven years. They asked you to marry you, you know, five, six, seven years ago. You, you are in a holding pattern. You don't want to be with this person. Why are you still there? You're not connecting on any level, but you think that now you can make your body meet your demands and orgasm. Wow. Yeah. Granted, it is a, you know, it's a physical response and you can, in a lot of ways, we have all been taught how to bully our bodies into doing all kinds of things. But mm-hmm. usually they're talking about having an orgasm within the context of a relationship, not just in general. And what I've ended up finding, I'm like, well, you don't have a great relationship with yourself. You don't have a great relationship with your partner, but you want to bully your body into producing. Right. It ain't going to. Right. Do you think that, because I noticed you said that, you know, you mainly work with Black women. So what what are the, like, the, like, what do you think the correlation is with Black women and orgasms? Like, do you think that, like, yeah, like, that Black women commonly um like the like because I think you said like self-esteem or of just like like what do you think that is about well 
we already know that women who have sex with men specifically tend to have fewer orgasms than anybody else. Women who have sex with women are more likely to have an orgasm. Like, I think it's like 90 something percent of women who have sex with women have orgasms. And mm -hmm. um, the one statistic I saw said is something like, if we account for people that lie, that is something like 30% of women who have sex with men have orgasms. That's a big ass gap. <laughs> that is a big ass gap. That is Ooh. a big ass gap. So when I get to thinking about where did this come from, I'm like, part of it is um, we all, all people grew up in this patriarchal white supremacist society, especially, well, especially in America. So let me America focus it, right? You grew up in this white supremacist patriarchy. Who says that men's pleasure is paramount to all pleasure? So a lot of us have not even been taught to even seek our own pleasure, to even start there, to even think that what we want matters. This is where I said that's supposed to be factor. You're supposed to be all this stuff for them. We, we have learned to be the ultimate pick me. Pick me, choose me, love me. We don't, we don't know how to be us. We don't know how to be us without unapologetically. We don't know how to be us without, you know, diminishing ourselves, quieting our mouths, changing up what we would wear, changing up what we would say in order to please someone so that they don't leave us or so that we can maintain them because we've been taught that our value is based on our ability to get and keep specifically a man. Doesn't matter whether or not you are LGBTQIA or not. Mm -hmm. We've all been taught this one way. So then it just becomes diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah, most definitely we could talk about that that all day. The next question is kind of similar. It says, do you believe that Black women in particular have a specific way of talking about sex or sexual health? Absolutely. And <laughs> that they use a lot of cute little euphemisms. You know, we talk about that cake. We, we talk about, we use every word there is out there to describe the thing except the word itself. We are as indirect as anybody else. All of us have been taught to dance around issues and to dance around desires, especially desires that are, are rooted in a taboo. Mm -hmm. So we talk about sex the way that we learned about it, which is basically to say that we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that we are in a space where we're trying to learn language, we're trying to develop language around sex, around women's pleasure, around being able to um, ask for what it is that we want. And I feel like there's so many songs that, you know, that they end up speaking to that, right? Like, is it Summer Walker song, Girls Need Love Too? Mm -hmm. Girls can't never say they want it. I'm like, she basically laid the whole thing out in the song. Like, you can't say it, you can't do that because then that now makes you different. And black women specifically now, we're talking about we're talking about the sexual tropes of the Mammy, the Jezebel, and the Sapphire. And nobody's trying to be a Jezebel. We don't want to be seen in that light. So oftentimes I find that um, I have some Black women that will go to the extreme and they are super, super chaste. Doesn't, don't want to have that conversation at all. They're having sex, but they're not talking about it because they don't want to be seen as fast. Or on the other other end where everybody thinks they are Meg Thee Stallion and got Meg Thee Stallion's knees and just out here trying to do 
everything. I'm like, live your best life means live your best life, not Meg's best life. Oh. <laughs> like, I love Meg to death. I just, I'm, you know, like, I am admirer of Meg and Meg's work. And I think that I like the way that specifically, you know, this openness around talking about sex, about sexuality, about desire, and how so many um, female artists are also in that space. And yet, sometimes it's still hyper-masculinized. Mm. And it, it still sort of takes something away. Because when, when I get to thinking about like who writes rhymes, like who writes for some of these rappers that we know and love, sometimes they write their own work, sometimes they don't. But either way, they've been taught and are told how to cater that message toward whoever the masses are. Right. And usually that means that they're going to stick with a certain type of message that that we've already grown familiar with hearing. And that is often attributed to darker skinned black women. That that piece about being hypersexualized, being good enough for a night but not a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So all these things, they also come back into the language of how we talk about sex, whether or not we talk about sex and how comfortable we feel. So it's a myriad of factors, but in the end of the day, ain't nobody really saying nothing about the sex, not their sex. They either talking about somebody else's sex or they're not talking about it at all. So helping people get comfortable and find their language that feels comfortable for them, that's also part of the work. When thinking about talking about sex, I think about the difficulties that parents have when talking about Mm -hmm. sex with their kids. Um, And it makes me think about the result of talking about sex when you're an adult, like with your partner, because it's kind of taboo as a kid. So then moving forward as an adult, it's like, well, my parents taught me like, you know, we don't really talk about sex, talk about this way. So what are your thoughts around beginning to the work to unpack this and the work um, about talking through sexual experiences with your partner when it's something that's been like so taboo all your life? I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. We do not equip kids. We do not equip people. If we, we don't equip anyone to be able to have these conversations and then we expect them to be able to now suddenly be able to have it with a partner to have productive conversations about their pleasure and their desires we teach people not to have wants or needs and then we also teach them not to discuss sex Mm. and then the two come together you're supposed to now just suddenly be able to talk about it with your partner and i'm just like ah nope not how any of this works and this is actually part of the reason why i created this webinar sex talk parent edition because people are ill-equipped to talk about it But first, parents got to unpack their own stuff. Like, what did your parents teach you about sex? What did you learn? When did you learn? Um, And recognizing that, I mean, in the end of the day, I know I keep saying it, but we're all a part of all these systems. Mm -hmm. Like, people Mm -hmm. don't like, people don't like it when I come speak nowhere because I just be like, look, the systems. I just be like, white supremacist patriarchy did this. Mm-hmm. White supremacist patriarchy did that. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear that, but it is also a part of the conversation. Right. Because the roots of this country is built in a lot of ways in puritanism and in racism, right? So sex is, some, is seen as something that men do to women and that women endure. That means that there's no conversation. They just do it. It's, I mean, some people even talk about it as being part of like psychological warfare that you would rape 
women because this proves in some way that their men are not men and at the same time proves to women that you are owned. And we continue to think of sex in very similar ways where it's about conquest. It's not about coming together into a space of pleasure. It's about who won over who. Mm-hmm. And how much of that is even wrapped up in how we think about sex? How much of that is, is wrapped up in you know, the, whole, the whole pick me culture, pick me, choose me, love me. And our inability then to conceptualize and, and merge pleasure with possible results. Because I say possible results because oftentimes well, all we talk about is consequences. We think about the consequences of sex, but even the consequences that we're talking about, um, you know, an undesired uh, pregnancy or STIs or STDs, these things are still talked about from a very certain standpoint, which often is about money. So capitalism then plays a role in our sexuality. And all of these things end up coming together in such a way where it's just like, okay, I don't want to think of my child as being a sexual being. So I refuse to give them the information. I refuse to equip them. Now, no one's thinking, oh, I refuse to equip them. We're thinking I'm trying to protect them. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that ageism, because no, no one wants to call it what it is. It's ageism. You're not teaching them about pleasure is about you. It's not about them. You're not talking to a kid about sex. It's not about them. It's about you. And if it's about you, then how will it ever be about them? And then how can they ever experience sex that is about them? It means that when they have sex in the future, it's about somebody else. Mama told me don't have no sex and don't bring no babies in her house. So I'm not going to do that until my ownership changes from parents to partner and my partner tells me what I'm allowed to do. Tell me where that makes sense. How is that supposed to develop or foster anybody's healthy sexuality? It's not. Sex is seen as ancillary. It's only about production, producing of kids. That is capitalism. It's all about how it is that you, how you show your value to someone else is by what you produce. And this is what black women know. This is what black women have been taught. Like, oh, I'm gonna give him a son. Or Mm. I'm gonna give him a daughter. Mm. It becomes about your production value. It's the same reason why some people don't have this understanding that when we talk about women and reduce them down to their ability to produce and have children, they don't recognize that they're still playing into the same capitalism that basically says you have no worth as a whole human being unless you are able to do something for someone else, which means that your sex is not even about you. Your sex is about somebody else. But we don't have these conversations. But I guess the long and short of it is that we don't have conversations with kids because we're uncomfortable. Because if they own their sexuality, we don't. And to be quite honest, I feel like a lot of people are even having kids for narcissistic reasons. They are thinking that they want to have children to correct the mistakes from their own lives through their kids. Oh, and yeah. when, you're, when you're in that mindset of, not that I'm going to love the person that they are, but I'm going to love the person that I'm making them be, then that also now includes their sexuality and having ultimate control over it through shame or through or physical punishment. So it's never about them, it's always about you. So it's never about a kid, which means that it's just a cycle that continues. They don't get to live their lives because they live their parents' lives, which means when they, have, when they produce their own kids, now they're living their lives through their kids. So it's just a cycle going over and over. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
sorry, my mind be going all over the place. I don't even know if I answered the question that you had in the way that you wanted me <laughs> no, to. No, you did. You definitely did. My mind is just, I'm not in mode where the mind is like blown up. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think I ever thought about it in this way because I just think about like my parents and how like they tried to talk about it with me early on, but then they like ran from it. And then once they realized I was in a relationship, they were like, oh, we should talk about this again. I'm like, wow, you waited a long time. I'm almost 30. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little late now. Yeah. So mind boggling. Like they tried so hard, but they just are like, we're running from it. So it's interesting. Yeah, but we've also, as a culture, been taught to run from the things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. We're not taught to, it's funny, it's something that I I continually talk about with my clients. They don't like it very much anymore, but whatever. Lemons versus lemonade. Mm. All of us have been taught to love lemonade. Lemonade is the thing that you produce. That's like capitalism right there. We know how to do things to produce. We know how to move towards solutions. We don't know how to sit with problems. We don't know how to, we don't appreciate a lemon for what it is and what it, what it too can give. We like lemonade. We do not like lemons. So we run away from lemons so that we can run toward lemonade, not recognizing that we would have a fuller appreciation for the lemonade that we're tasting if we understood the lemons. I feel like we're in a culture of why sit in uncomfortability when comfortability is right at like grab. So go ahead and take comfortability Mm -hmm. so you don't have to sit here because you don't really have to do that. Just go over there. Word. It's about constantly seeking, not even pleasure, but mindlessness. Because mm-hmm. we, we're, I mean, all we're doing is avoiding. And I'm just like, the real pleasure comes when you're not actually avoiding, when you are fully present. Now there's some real pleasure for that butt. But I mean, that is the same thing that ends up showing up in sex. We are uncomfortable with certain aspects of our own bodies, of seeing other people's bodies, of you know the nakedness that re- is also required depending on the type of relationship you're having with whomever. So like if you're in a, in a long-term sort of let's be together, whatever relationship, it requires a certain level of nakedness, of vulnerability. Yeah. And I'm like, well, when, you're, when that nakedness can show up with your physical nakedness and their physical nakedness, as well as their emotional nakedness, I imagine that you connect, you connect a lot differently and deeper in your sex than otherwise. But we're running from that and seeking, like, I just want to have an orgasm. I just want to have an orgasm. I'm like, you're not even naked yet. <laughs> right. You're not even present yet. Mm. You're so worried about avoiding the pieces that feel uncomfortable, you know, like in sex, like, oh, well, what will my body look like? Or I hope we're, we're wrapped up in, do I stink? Or in, um, does my body look okay? Are my boobs big enough? Is my butt big enough? Like, I hope I wiped extra good. I hope I showered extra well. You know, don't want, <laughs> don't want no booty chips. <laughs> but like, you get into all this space, you get into your head so much that you're not even present in sex. Lemons, lemonade, you want lemonade, but you have to, you have to also have to appreciate your lemons. Yeah. It makes for a more fulfilling sex life. Mm-hmm. Do you have any takeaways for our listeners? Uh, absolutely. Let's see. Takeaways. I guess the main one for me is, um, lemons versus lemonade always. (laughs) (laughs) Um, learn to sit in the uncomfortability and that piece, like it's awkward to talk about what you desire in sex. It's awkward to, um, or it can be awkward to 
try new sexual things because we like to go to the things that give us comfort. It's awkward to talk to kids about sex. That's your lemon. Sit there. It's okay mm. to be awkward, especially if it will give you the lemonade of a lifetime. Mm. That was deep. I know. I love. I love that. Like kind of quote. Yes. Is that in your books or anything? Uh, I I think I did a video on lemon versus lemonade about sitting in discomfort. I never wrote it in a book though. I should. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a little blurb about your book um, before we end? Absolutely. Um, Cocoa Butter and Hair Grease, A Self-Love Journey Through Hair and Skin is a 12-week, week-by-week program that I created off the therapy that I was already doing with my clients around colorism, texturism, um, self-love, and all that other stuff. And um, I just, I basically was just like, all right, throw it in the book because everybody can't come to therapy. So it has the 12 week piece. It has some coloring pages and a couple of crossword puzzles, word searches. Um, there's some challenges in there because, you know, it's challenge day. <laughs> we gotta, we have to challenge and, and help ourselves to grow and really recognize where we got the things that we got so that we can break the cycles because colorism and texturism, these are not ours. These are the gifts of white supremacy and we need to return to sender. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to having you in the future because we have more conversations we need to unpack. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. You too. So we hope y'all enjoyed our guest. I definitely enjoyed her. Um, there is another person I wanted to share. Her name is Shan Booty. She's like famous, so that's why we didn't have her on here. Um, but Shan Booty is a black woman um, and she talks about sex and sexual health. And she talks about her experiences with it. Um, she's specifically a sex educator, so she's not a therapist, but she works with people as far as like desires and things like that. Um, and her name is Shan, S-H-A-N Booty, B-O-O-D-Y. And she has a plethora of videos. So once you start watching, you won't want to stop. Like when I first started watching her, I started from like when she first started and I watched it all in like a few days. So she just has really interesting stories and different videos that are really cool. Um, Donnie, do you have something you want to share? Uh, yeah, what's her name again? Share what? Sham Booty. So S-H-A-N-B-O-O-D-Y. And she even has a video mm -hmm. that performance of dating as a black woman. Um, it's a really good video too. Where did you find her? Shan Booty. Where did you find her? So she just is popular. Um, some of the people who I follow, like her podcast and stuff, they're friends with her. So I found her and I found out she was like really popular. She's an author too. She has a different book. She has a little TV show. So I was like, who is this? And I got who? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, I mean, I really, I just really enjoyed today's guest. Like, Dr. Donna is, like, legit dope. And I'm so happy that we even have the the pleasure of having such guests on our podcast. Like, the way that she explains a lot of things, I feel like it's super helpful. And it was super, like, um, like anybody can understand it, I would think so. 
Um, so I just really appreciate this conversation and I hope that it intrigues like parents and even friends to start talking to their loved ones and support system about sex because it's, it's very real. And I, I think I like the fact how she kind of talked about the structures that it impacts, such as like, you know, if your self-esteem is lagging, then most likely your sexual experiences probably will too. And like kind of leaking into the these systems of capitalism and patriarchy, which I think um, sometimes we kind of uh, don't talk about as well. I had never heard of the capitalism piece. So I just really wanted to, to kind of highlight just that, you know, Dr. Donna's dope. <laughs> Do you have any um, homework for the people? I know you like to give homework too. Right, I love a good homework. Um, I don't know, maybe like a, um, maybe maybe like a, a a body a body daily affirmation so i don't know if you have like a like a mirror in your room or something where you literally like get in front of the mirror naked and give yourself an affirmation you know it could be your affirmation of choice like it could be like you know i really love my brown skin or i really love the way i have that little curve on my breast or whatever it is um, just like an affirmation for yourself to kind of um, start acknowledging and loving your body because a lot of times we don't even do that so that's a little homework okay well y'all thank you for listening to this week's episode of black pimentillin pod and we'll see y'all again next week